Welcome to the Branding Blog Podcast. I'm Dave Young, and I'm joined this week by uh, an old partner of mine. Jeff Sexton is uh, is joining me on the podcast, and Jeff has been a Wizard of Ads partner quite a while now. I'm, I, we'll have to ask him, uh, and, and we're going to talk about a really cool, interesting topic today, uh, magical thinking. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. How long have you been a Wizard of Ads partner? Do you, do you keep track in you know, days, I, months? Uh, I summer of 2004 was when I signed the paperwork, okay. and uh, I didn't go full time until about 2006. Okay. So, um, well, but I, it's I just been, know you're you're one of those guys that's been around a long time. Yeah, it's been six or seven years. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So now you you're kind of well known in our circles as being this uh, intellectual writer kind of guy, right? You you you've taught. Uh, some writing classes at Wizard Academy. Uh, you you uh, have a, a great reputation as a as a copywriter. You've been uh, featured with uh, Copy Blogger and Brian Clark uh, on some webinars, and you do some of the training for their uh, premise landing page uh, product. So you, you've really got a great reputation out there as as a writer, and uh, I think we could talk about that at some future podcast, right? But but. I asked you what you wanted to talk about, and you said magical thinking. Well, you know, given the fact that this is aimed towards small businesses, Mm -hmm. um, I think this is one of the things where people don't know about it and don't pay attention to it, and that culturally we're inclined to dismiss it. Okay. And so the more you become aware of it, the more you see applications of it. You, I, you can kind of be, uh, add it to your little uh, bag of tricks as a as an, another super weapon that uh, – super marketing weapon that your competitors don't have because they don't think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just interesting. It's, I, I just find it fascinating, whereas copywriting sometimes, uh, although as important as it is, it, it's not always the most interesting thing to talk about. So uh, That's true. How many ways can we dissect a headline? Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us what magical thinking is, first of all. Okay, magical thinking is a term I stole. It's typically used by anthropologists and psychologists. And it used to be used sort of in a colonial or imperialistic sense of looking at these these primitive tribesmen and how they, you know, they haven't ascended to the level of scientific thinking yet, right? So, oh, they drink, you know, they eat tiger penis soup under the belief that that's going to make them more studly, right? Or, okay. uh, y- you know, that it, it's basically anything that you think of as magical that's non-scientific, right? Like, oh, well, this person wore it, so he's, you know, imbued that with his essence. So d- does, um, d- do you think all religion falls under the category? Um, I think it's an aspect of religion, okay. sure, sure. So, I mean, if you think of a relic, you the know. The Shroud of obvious, Turin, obviously right. there's, there's some magical thinking going on there. Right. Now, I try not to bring the... Um, condescension and disdain <laughs> that sure. normally comes with packaged up with that term over with me, but it's the best term uh, available to describe it. So right? the, the, if, if you were going to imbue it with, with condescension, it would be, well, all those other people, their beliefs, is it, it's magical thinking, but mine are, you know, of course, <laughs> not. Right. Well, I mean, if you were a perfectly dry materialist, then then you know you could take that thing that anything that's a scientific or a rational is uh, 
is bogus and should be stamped out. But uh, I, I don't fall under that. So I, I'm Catholic myself, so I certainly don't um, fall under that realm. But uh, it's just a good term to think about things like, for instance, okay, there's people that import soil from, say, Ireland or okay. uh, Italy. Now, when you do that, the U.S. won't let you bring soil in unless you've killed every living thing in it. You put it through uh, – you irradiate it somehow. Irradiate it and bake it or whatever, okay. right? But because they can't have you bringing microbes over and all that stuff. Sure. It's just bad juju. So by the time that oh, wait, Irish bad, – bad juju, wouldn't that be magical thinking? That is. That, that okay. you, you see, it's seeping everywhere. Got it. Um, but by the time that soil gets here, I mean, there's nothing really Irish about it anymore. But people will pay huge money, um, you know, hundreds of dollars per pound for this Irish soil. And like people have been like some, you know, ardent Irish American actually bought enough of it so that he could be buried in it. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it, what, what's fascinating about it is that magical thinking is not limited to, uh, you know, Maori tribesmen or primitive people. We all have it, you know, we, we swim in it, but we don't ever actually think about it. Sure. And once you think about it, it, it strikes you like the whole idea that there is a billion dollar market or hundreds of million dollar market for, um, Sports memorabilia. Oh yeah, that couldn't exist without magic. I was thinking. just thinking of that when when they. Uh, I remember back. This is this is a long time ago, but back when they uh, tore out the old astroturf at the uh, at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska, after the Cornhuskers won a national championship, they cut it into like four inch squares and sold it all. It's just old astroturf. Just it's yeah. like old carpet out of somebody's living room. Yeah. It had been, you know, sweat on and stomped on and, you know, Lord knows what for 15 years. And, and they cut it into pieces. And my mom's got some coasters made out of it up at her house. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's a perfect example of it. Um, and even when we're not aware of it, it affects us. Uh, they've done psychological studies that showed, like, if you have – cookies in a clear plastic container so that you can see the cookies inside. Mm -hmm. And they're resting like in a shopping cart on, uh, on let's say tampons or kitty litter. Um, it's statistically significant. The number of people who don't want those cookies anymore. <laughs> because now, they've been close to something that they don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one scientist uh, who who studies this stuff, and you know when he speaks, he he pulls out like a cardigan, and he says, you know, this was worn by Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, who wants to put it on? <laughs> and nobody will put it on. And then it's like the next thing is, well, how much would it take to to get you to wear it? You know, usually there's somebody that'll wear it for a couple hundred bucks or something. Oh my god! And the person who will wear it, everybody else shuns them and moves away. So it's um, it's weird. Well, it's kind of like when you sell your house, you kind of want this house that you you know that you lived in for a while. You want you want it to go to a good home, right? A good owner's. Right. Well, who cares where the house is, goes? If they, if they pay you what you want, you shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't be concerned about that. Let them tear it down if they want to. 
but but you are concerned about it. Yeah, probably yeah. just because of all the connotations and, and the context and the neighbors and 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 your memories, everything that you uh, that you attribute to having lived there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, another great example I stole from from an author um, was, you know, if I, I miss a flight and you ask me why I missed the flight, you know, I'm going to say, well, my blankety blank alarm didn't go off, or the stupid traffic, or blah blah blah. Uh huh. Right. All, all normal, rational, causative reasons of why I missed the flight. Right. If that flight then turned out to crash, you know, God forbid, and you ask me why I missed the flight, suddenly my my reasons don't involve the blankety blank alarm. It's like, well, God wants me to be here with my family. Yeah, I had this feeling, and, and yeah. nobody um, nobody realizes that sudden switch from reverse causation, right? Yeah. Um. And nobody, so, and nobody, nobody really denies it either, because there's no proof, and there's no, there's no negative proof. Right, right. But it, it as a, as an indicator of psychology, it's there. It, it happens. Um. So the important thing is to realize that that it, we swim in this stuff. This is how I believe. This is how the unconscious mind works. You know, it, it works along the lines of of magic, magical thinking, and. If you dismiss it, I think you dismiss it at your peril because that's the por- portion of our minds that that has the greater impact on decision making. So, if if you're if if you translate this to um, let's say you're writing for a website and uh, you just want to be rational and give people the facts, and you you kind of ignore this type of thinking, uh, you may be not as effective as you would be otherwise. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that, that if you ignore this, you won't be as effective as you but, should be or could be. Can you, how, how do you know where to draw the line, Jeff? Because if you go too far, now you're just in, in uh, weird uh, woo-woo, voodoo, uh, you know, hyper claims and promises. That, that I mean, where, where's the line? How do you, how do you know? Well, I don't think those two things are, are necessarily um, tied together. <laughs> but so – Here's an example, and I think I mentioned this to you before, but you know, with the jewelers that make the ring for you, right? The the display cases are all brass and glass, and then they make the ring for you. Okay. Um, you know, we have a, a partner, uh, Chris Matic, who who says he's found that the idea that no one's touched the ring before, you know, no one's pawed over it. It's not something that's been in a display case and tried on by fifteen hundred people. That that's actually a more powerful messaging than uh, the customization aspect of it. Okay. Now, surely they use both of those things, but he always tends to include the you know it's virginal for her, right? Yeah. And that's powerful, and, and I don't think that's it's a true claim, and there's nothing sort of weird or or schlocky about it. But you're speaking to that that part of your brain that has that magical thinking, right? The, the ring is uncontaminated, unadulterated. Gotcha. Um, and and that so and and especially on a on a on a pretty highly emotional purchase like that, I would I can see that that would would have. Uh, sure, and per, perhaps the impact. master of this is J J Peterman, right? Who who talks about 
factual romance, mm-hmm. right? Items that have romance about them, but a factual romance. And they're always, with their copy, trying to place the item in some historical or romantic or uh, aspirational setting, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, I saw this jacket on, you know, the Prince of Windsor, you know, while we were at a polo match. It's never just the jacket. Um, and I don't think there's anything sleazy about that. They're romancing the item. And I think you can't romance an item without engaging in a little magic. Yeah, thing. well, you, you take it too far if you say, if you wear this jacket, you're going to be the Prince of Wales. That, that would, <laughs> Obviously, nobody would believe that, but... Um, <laughs> To, no, to try to, to, try is, to imply, like, I mean, you, you have to let the, the reader connect those dots themselves. Sure, and they do. But, I mean, it's just as, if you think about it, it's just as insane that we should care that the jacket was exactly, a right? replica I, I, of this. I, I but, want to know if it looks do. good on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, 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 think, saw, I saw a, a website yesterday. Um, <laughs> I can't even tell you why I was looking at Oh, somebody linked to it on Facebook, but it was a, it was a, it was a Heidi Klum blog of some kind. And, um, I I don't know exactly where it is, but, but basically they, they show her, she's got a picture of the day where she's wearing something that she picked out of her wardrobe, right? You know, here's a pair of jeans and this top and these shoes. And then below that, there's an ad for some company that has jeans that look sort of like that and shoes that look sort of like hers and a shirt that looks sort of like hers for a lot less than what she paid for hers because hers are designer brand name. Okay. Right. So they're – I don't know if that's magical, but but the connection – they make the connection. They're basically saying, hey, if you want to look like Heidi Klum – here are some ways to do it. They're not even doing it with copy. They're just doing it by the proximity of this ad to, you know, here's here's the superstar model and, and uh, what she's wearing today. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more rational. Like, this is her fashion. If you want to emulate it, here's a way to do it on a budget. But, um, but isn't the idea that, that that if you wear clothes like her, you'll be like her? That's that's kind of magical in itself because we, we know that isn't true. <laughs> That is. I mean, you're not going to lead. You're not going to lead her life. Um, it doesn't mean good things are going to happen to you just because you you put on a pair of jeans that are like hers. But I, but you but get I into that lucky jeans kind of thing, right? So we can speculate that there's some of that going on, but I think the people would say, "Oh, well, no, it's because I think she's a she has a good sense of fashion, right? She's a model, for God's sakes." Okay. Um, here's another one that's on that where we take a, where you strip away these other possible explanations. They actually did an experiment where they took like flea market finds and garage items and just weird random stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a coffee cup shaped like a frog or something like that. Or, uh, a, you know, a just weird stuff, right? Yeah. And, um, they assigned people to write emotional stories about each of them as if it was a unique or significant item for them. And then they put the items up for sale and um, attached the stories Mm -hmm. and told people the stories were totally untrue and made up. (laughs) Okay. And they still, the items with the stories brought like 10 times the expected value. (laughs) 
the power of the story, even when they knew the story wasn't true and they knew the item was just this random find, it still caused people to pay way more than what the item was really worth. Oh my gosh. That's, that's actually kind of scary, isn't it? It is. It is. So, you know, there's, there's bunches of ways that people can use this. And one is to romance the item in the copy. But two, I, I can't tell you the number of stores I go in uh, where there's no information about the, the products. Right. And, and especially when it's like, imagine a wine store. There's no information about the wines. And whatever information there is, is information that's leading you in the wrong direction. So you have a, this was, you know, wine spectator score of 92, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, you, what you're doing is you're asking me to flip open my phone to take a picture of it and compare prices, basically, yeah. right? But if it's a wine I haven't seen before and there's this cool little description of it that talks about the owner of the store being on vacation in France and coming across this you know, small, non-internationally represented vineyard and, and finding it to be this wonderful value and how he struck up a deal and now he's offering it for sale. Yeah. I'm in a totally different headspace about considering that wine for purchase than I am wine spectator score of 92. Even if that same bottle of wine is, is uh, $2 less, uh, half a mile away, the story is what brings you in and and bonds you to that, and you decide this is one I'm going to try. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even think to whip out my phone and compare prices on that wine because you can't. And that's so. There, that's a great example. Um, one of the things that Google and and you know with with smartphones, like you said, uh, it's it's so easy to find things. You know, I, I do that all the time. I scan barcodes with my iPhone, and it tells me, oh, this is for sale at such and such place I and mean, you can you can have it do local you can have it do internet it'll basically find whatever it is you scan and tell you what the prices are somewhere else what you can't get that phone to do is compare stories absolutely right so yeah. so this store has a really cool story with the bottle of wine the guy down the street doesn't I mean, you can't compare those anyway right i mean there's no way well, you can't, but the other thing is that by reading the story, you, you're taking me out of the mindset to even think to compare. Yeah, you won't. You won't compare. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's really important. But the, you know, the other thing is, I think you mentioned this earlier. Is, I, th- I, think the, first, I, I think the idea oh, okay. of, of, of actually trying to find the same item with a better story is an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> or a slightly different item with a with you know, a better story. Uh, so, so that you know where, where that leads is 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 um, sometimes we have a favorite store, and maybe it's because the stories are better. Maybe it's because the people, and we always buy that product at that store just because we always have and we always will, and we like them. We like the people. We like maybe there's a story, maybe there isn't, but th- that's um, I don't know that that's magical. But it's not logical, especially if the same product is on sale or, or, or at a lower price down the road somewhere that's close by and you even know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, anytime you're making a non-economical choice, there's got to be some kind of emotional component to it. Mm-hmm. And I think 
one of the where this sort of kind of intersects a little bit with Tom Wainick's, you know, six currencies is that anytime you find somebody who's doing that kind of signaling, mm-hmm. usually there's a story behind it and it gets deep into their values and you can create better messaging around that, that currency, right? Around that demonstrative thing by understanding the story and understanding some of the magical thinking behind it. A great example of this, you know, Roy had the ad for one of his jewelers where the guy said that, you know, his dad died when he was 10. Mm-hmm. And it always impressed upon him the importance of relationships. And, you know, he went through life with that different cast of mind because he knew how important people were to each other and that, that you know, our time wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, then talks about when he married his wife, he didn't, there was nobody there to kind of stand behind him and she had to marry him without a ring. So now he has this, this driven need to one, be there for, help people express their love for each other and also to be there for young guys who, you know, are getting married and know they love the girl, but they don't know the first thing about buying a ring. Sure. And that ad was very powerful. Um, but if you think about it, on it from a very cold analytical point of view, there's nothing in that ad but unsubstantiated claims. Sure. <laughs> right? There's nothing in that ad that's not an unsubstantiated claim, but yet we believe it inherently. Mm-hmm. We're at least willing to walk into his store and give him a chance. Yeah. You feel some, some form of empathy or... or- Something that that causes you to say, okay, well, gosh, he seems like a real guy. Seems sincere. Um, you know, the the competing stores, all they're doing is shouting about price. So maybe I'll go where people care about me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's the thing about this is unless you do some conscious thinking about it and you're aware of it, you will tend to dismiss this stuff. And if you dismiss it and focus only on the reason why aspects of your messaging, you're going to end up with messaging that's not nearly as powerful as it should be. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're doing it as a uh, mass media where people have to remember it and act on it at a later date. Because those things that tend to get tagged in memory are the emotional ones. Right? Those things that kind of make us make a decision based on something that happened six months ago tend to be more of the subconscious factors than, than unless you have a location or yeah, unless you have a very, very powerful, you know, unique value proposition, these other factors will usually outweigh it now for, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why the people who most that pushed reason why advertising the hardest tended to be the direct response guys. Sure. Right? Because they didn't have to worry about changing the way you feel or think about a brand. They just had to make the sale today. Yeah. So d- does does this kind of thing what, – what, which, which type of, of uh, marketing does this work best in? Are you, are you saying that, that the direct marketers can use this to, to much better advantage or if it's a part of your ongoing campaign, it's going to be the memorable part? I think it could be used for either. I mean, it just 
transcends. But I think if you're using mass media to brand something, and the very idea of branding, of attaching emotions and associations to a certain brand name or you know store, uh, has some magical thinking involved in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's equally important. But you know, an example is I, I remember writing a um, a flyer, an in-store sort of flyer, like sales letter almost that w- was put inside a you know in-store flyer pamphlet, mm-hmm. and it was for fish oil, and specifically fish oil for pregnant women. Okay, and there's lots of science. Uh, behind why you should, there's more science showing that this is a good thing to do than there was showing that, um, what is it? Folic acid was, was a good thing to do for March of dimes when they started recommending it. Mm-hmm. So there's huge, you know, there's no question that you should be supplementing with this if you're pregnant. But one of the things I put in there was that the um, one of the components of fish oil, the DHA, uh, is a major building block of the brain. That you know, it, your brain is made up of all this stuff, and sure. um, it's one of those things. Yeah, there's some science behind that, but it's it's along the lines of you know, if I eat penis, <laughs> tiger penis, I'm going to be strong like bull, or you know. Uh-huh. And I knew that that was the case. And I put it in there specifically because it was operating at a different, you know, different part of their psyche than the, all the science that I had. That's true. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, that, that's a message that we've heard. Um, so that, I, I think that's cool. I, I got to share this with you. This is, uh, you brought up fish and, 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 and the brain. And, and so I had this cartoon one time. Uh, a guy sitting at a restaurant with a menu in front of him and he's got a sock puppet on his hand. The sock puppet is also reading the menu and the sock puppet is saying to the guy, order the fish, fish is brain food. (laughs) I don't know. You had to see it. Maybe that sounds kind of like that new movie or (laughs) semi new movie that came out, right? The beaver. Um, yeah, I heard about it. Never, never really I don't think I even saw a trailer. Just, I think it may, it may have been one of those almost straight to video type type things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh-huh. but, but yeah, fish is brain food. So that's that's a a big part of of what that copy should be. Right, right. Come at it from a different angle. It's not it's not just good for you. It's not just good for the baby. Um, you want a smart baby too, not just a healthy baby. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, the thing is just including some of these things that that don't make any sense. There was a famous, um, semi-famous if you're an advertising geek, <laughs> ad that uh, against uh, – what is the American China? I think Spode ran it against uh, – Shoot. Um, I just pulled out my Ogilvy book. Ogilvy <laughs> talks about it, and I, I, for some reason, I have a brain fart on the. Um, so it's a it's a type of China. Uh, yeah, and I can't remember the American brand of China. Lennox. 
Lennox. There it is. Spode versus Lennox. And it was like Spode made on, you know, Trent on Stokes, England, or Lennox made in Pomona, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, this ad says nothing about the quality of the... (laughs) No, of the China. No. What the hell does the fact that it's made in Pomona, New Jersey have to do with the quality of the well, China? It's like the Pace Picante sauce ad where the, the cowboy looks at the jar and says, New Jersey. <laughs> New York City. New York City. Get a rope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but the ad, both of those ads proved very, very effective and, and, you know, crushed the competition. And the thing, the real funny part is that, um, Trent on Stokes is just as tacky a place in England. <laughs> as well, yeah, sure. It's, it's probably full of uh, foundries and and uh, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing like craftsmanlike about factories. Trent on Stokes. Yeah, <laughs> but we didn't know that. We just assumed that because that it we was don't English. And, we don't have any place called anything on anything, so that must be exotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a messaging that's like purely. Magical thinking, and you—I mean—you could say, "Well, that's you know, that's underhanded," but it worked. It worked fine, and it wasn't—you know—they weren't saying anything that wasn't true. It, we brought everything that <laughs> we brought all that to the to the ad. Yeah, and uh, the, the, they weren't saying anything that that Lennox could even do anything about. Exactly. Right. Yeah. What, what short of of closing down their factory and moving it to Beverly Hills or something. Yeah, that that's amazing. So so Jeff, when when a business owner starts to think about these kinds of things, um this seems to me like it's it's one of those issues where oh, you, you you've almost got to dig pretty deep. You you've got to dig deeper than the psyche of just the the um surface of the store and the surface of the business. This this goes deeper. It goes to story uh, with the exception of something like Lennox, although although in that particular case it had to have been, it could not have been anything but an outsider uh, for for either of those two companies to write that ad, right? Spode would never have known that that there was uh, you know some kind of negativity associated with something manufactured in New Jersey for crying out loud. So Ogilvy is the one that had to do that. And, yeah, and, it did take an outsider to and, see and that. And that's you know one of the one of the points I made um, in, in another podcast on on personal experience factor when when you're talking about um, improving uh, the customer experience inside your doors. Very often, you have to have an outsider come in and tell you what's what's even wrong, because if you've been inside that building for too long, you don't even notice that your own carpet is wearing out. You don't well, notice abs- paint peeling off the walls. You don't notice dust in the corners. You don't notice those things because yeah. you're there all the time, and it's it's that um, it's just happened over such a slow period of time that it doesn't seem any different to you. But an outsider coming in with a fresh pair of eyes goes, "Hey, whoa! You got to clean this up." Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting that you even talk about um, customer experience because I, you know, Tim Miles, another one of our partners, is putting putting a book together on that. And I, uh, I, um, it contributed a story to it. And one of the things I said was everyone tends to think of customer experience in terms of improving customer service or improving the objective pieces of the puzzle. 
you know, is it clean? Is it, you know, orderly? Uh, did you get better service? And one of the ways you can really improve customer experience is through magical thinking. Um, an example I gave was uh, with some other partners I work for a, um, I write ads for a um, barn builder up in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had the sort of, we've been in business since 1969 thing going on. And we said that, you know, everyone has in business since. How many pole barns have you actually built? And so we had him tally up the pole barns and it was a large number. It was like 1,521 or something. Okay. And, you know, you have to forgive me. I don't know the exact number. But we started using that number in the ads and we started updating it. So, you know, six weeks from now, it was no longer 1,521. It was 1,527, right? So people started actually asking him, which, which, if I buy from you, what number will I be? <laughs> <laughs> and so he started putting it on the signs, like around his construction studio, now building number whatever. And the way he improved customer experience was he started – he had a hot cast bronze plaque made for every building with the number inscribed on it. And you know a, a faux signature, and the names of the people who built the barn. The barn with a with a serial number and a yeah. Yeah, so it it went from being this this utilitarian building to being what it really was is a bespoke thing, right? Because you come and build the barn, you pick everything out. Like he he builds it from scratch for you, mm. and that improved customer experience far more than most things that you might do on an objective. Yeah, I mean, he's not. Level. He's probably not doing anything different in the actual construction. Nope. Nothing different but, in the actual choice of materials. Nope. But but we changed people's perceptions of it, and that improved customer customer experience tremendously. That's really cool. And, yeah. And and that's the kind of thing that that again he would never have thought to do. Well, you know, he thought to do it, but he didn't think to do it until, you know, we kind of set the ball rolling with the whole thing. Okay. Right. And, and I don't think we would have thought to do it except that people responded to it the way they did. Right. We just thought that the hard number was more convincing than since the date. Right. Since sure. 1969. And then we thought it was cool to update it because it's a real number. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the people started saying, what number am I? That's when everything kicked into place, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so I think that what that shows you is that this is operating at a very deep level. <laughs> it's so, more important than we – we dismiss it. Like, well, who cares what number you are? But no, they wanted to know. So, yeah. So, so just choosing the right stat to put in the ad, to put in the messaging, uh, the fact that you've been in business since 1983 may not be as important as how many customers you have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is like, for instance, why do we always look back on the last year on New Year's Eve? <laughs> What's so magical about New Year's Eve, about January, you know, December, whatever? There, it's, all, it's already starting to show up, right? I, I think I saw the, the you know, the, the top 50 pictures of the year and the, and the uh, yeah, the, the top uh, – Oh, the one I saw yesterday was the top 25 uh, iPhone autocorrect fails. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, why do we celebrate you, you on your birthday? So dates are very important. And that's something that you can do for businesses, right? If you're a restaurant, you should make a big deal about anybody that comes to that restaurant that's the first time, right? Have the owner come out or the chef come out and take a picture with them, right? Mm -hmm. Give them something, free wine or free dessert or something. Maybe even make the picture when they're enjoying the wine or something like that, right? Get them – get their information, right? And then on their one-month anniversary – of their first visit, <laughs> send them the picture and a note saying, you know, how much you enjoyed, the, how, how pleased you were that they came to your restaurant and gee, you'd like them to come back and, and you know, we're, we've, we're doing something special this date and would you consider, you know, coming in? Mm-hmm. How that would get a huge response because you went and you manufactured an anniversary yeah. That was meaningful. And you're not manipulating the people that you, you probably just improved their customer experience a crap load, right? By doing that, by making them important and their first time at their restaurant important and the anniversary of that important. How so I mean and, and obviously that's that's something that would work pretty well for um a restaurant that's pretty hands on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you'd have a harder time with a chain, or you'd have a harder time that if it was a huge restaurant and you yeah. had, you know, fifty new people every it's your day. First time to Red Lobster, ah, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that I mean, th- th- those are all cool ideas. Um, what 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 else? I mean, we're we're going to kind of run out of time on this here soon. So I, I'm I'm just thinking of, of are there any particular steps that a business owner could take? To, to start thinking about these things in their particular world. Because I, I can see applications across the board. I mean, no matter the size of the company, uh, th- there are things that you could do to, uh, to improve things. I, I think, I think uh, just a merchandising point of view, that a lot, you, you mentioned earlier in this interview uh, the, the company that, or, or whoever did the test where they where they took uh, cookies and put them near something that nobody wanted, like cat litter, and nobody <laughs> wanted those cookies anymore, even though they were perfectly fine, perfectly safe. So it's it's a matter of keeping distance from uh, <laughs> certain products that you might carry. I mean, I've even, I'm even thinking here how you know if, if you think about how Walmart organizes. Uh, their merchandise, they probably have figured some of this stuff out, I would guess, over the years. Ah, uh, probably. And, probably. And so, you know, it, it, it comes down to the psychology of the store. Uh, well, what, I, what I've heard about Walmart in terms of contagion, right? And contagion is the idea that the essence seeks out, seeps out, right? Okay. Um, is that they have key items placed in strategic positions throughout the store that are just phenomenal buys Uh and that grab your attention. And so that you're being noticing these just beyond good, beyond low price deals. But that the majority of the stuff is a good price, but it's not, it's not necessarily the best. Yeah. Yeah. But these things overwhelm your impression of the store and it's pricing. Sure. So it, it's almost like the 
the the gigantic jar of pickles that you can get for three dollars. You know, it by contagion it, it makes everything else cheap <laughs> seem cheap. Sure. Sure, but um, but if you're if you're a small business, if if you're a small service business, it's going to boil down to the story. Uh, if you're a small retailer, uh, it it may come down to uh, uh, well the thing, things like you mentioned, uh, anniversary. How do you treat new customers? How do you make people feel like they're just fortunate to have found you? You know, when, well, you so know, when I, they I, walk I, out I think, the door, they're just uh, yeah, like. It's tough to say you, well, you should do these steps, one, two, three, yeah. because by the nature we're discussing something that's not that amenable to rationalized processes, right? We're discussing the weird, idiosyncratic, irrational, uh, emotional parts of us, right? And, and, but I think you could certainly Google uh, magical thinking and read up on it. You, but the biggest thing is emotionally for you to make peace with the fact that we're not, you know, we're not what economists would tell us, these rational buying machines. And that's not only okay, but that's a good thing. Sure. Um, and that uh, it may be worth hiring an outsider to come in and, and see what they can do with that. Um, you know, the whole point behind the Wizard of Ads is that we really do dig for the story. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the story is intimately bound up with magical thinking. Well, yeah, we, we call it an unleveraged asset. It's, it's, yeah. it's talking to a business owner long enough and digging deep enough that you start to find those things. You start to uncover those stories. Uh, you, you start to see some things that they're not seeing because they're so close to their own business. And, um, I can't tell you how many times that those things just uh, just make themselves appear out of nowhere to you when after, after you've been talking for maybe four or five hours to somebody you, you hadn't really even seen it yourself or thought about it and then uh, it, it, it well like magic Jeff it just kind of appears doesn't it it does it does yeah. um, you know there's a great example of somebody that was tasked with selling a whole bunch of fruitcakes, right? Now, think about that's a hard sell. This is in Texas, and he found out that the fruitcakes had a whole lot of pecans in them. So he just changed the name to Texas Pecan Cakes (laughs) (laughs) or Pecan Loaves, and all of a sudden he was able to sell out all of them. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if he hadn't dug and gotten that information about the fruitcake, he would be left taking the usual approach and getting the usual results. Yeah. Well, it's, it, um, that, yeah. And that, that's just another, another proof that, that we're, we're certainly not logical in how we think about things. Um, I, I've told the story before and it's, it's told here where I live all the time when, when Cabela's, uh, their very first ad they ran, they had bought some flies in bulk and they ran an ad. And the first offer was, uh, something like that. I'll get it wrong, but it was 12, uh, Hand tied flies for a dollar, um, and and nobody bought. And then they then they offered um, twelve hand tied uh, flies free. Send a dollar for postage and handling. It was the exact same offer. I think the first one was was free shipping, and the, you know, so so it's basically it's the exact same offer. But people responded to the one where they got twelve of them free. All they had to do was pay for the shipping. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a pretty good book 
Um, actually, I'd say it's very good. Um, what is it called? It's Dan Arely. Um, oh, Dan Arely. Uh, rational. Um, something predictably irrational. Yeah. He, and he discusses the power of free in that book. And it's a yeah. good book. And it's a worthwhile book. And it's a great – it would be a good first step to get that book – um, if you wanted to it's, go it's deeper a, into this. It's a great book. I, I've actually got I, – I corresponded by email with him, I don't know, four or five years before he wrote the book. I read a couple articles that he wrote. And um, the, if you dig deep enough into Dan Ariely's world, you'll find some really cool articles that didn't even make it to the book. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you those, Jeff. Oh, want. cool. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Thomas Hood, I think, has a, a pretty cool um, – well, I, I like the book. I wouldn't uniformly recommend it because he's one of those people that takes a, a dimmer view of magical thinking than I think I do. <laughs> but he wrote a book called Super Sense that talks about magical thinking in some depth. That's something that readers could, could pick up on. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, Jeff, hey, um, thank you very much for, for being a part of this podcast. Uh, it, it was fun talking to you. This is a fascinating topic. Uh, are you working on a book? For, for magical thinking? Um, you know, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm uh, weaving it into a few other things uh, so that it's not just about that. Excellent. But uh, yes, yes, so I am. So if, if we want more Jeff Sexton, uh, jeffsextonwrites.com is your blog? Yes. And, and I do have a couple of uh, posts up about this topic um, um, that people can find. And I think one of them is like one tough mother's uh, advertising secret that you could probably Google okay. along with Jeff Sexton. Um, and I could certainly send you the link to that post. But it's it's really about Columbia Sportswear. Sure. Right? And they, they went from advertising how better engineered they were to doing the whole mob oil beating up on her, you know, yeah. <laughs> using her son as the Porsche love that test drives all the equipment. Uh-huh. And that's what launched them. Sure. And it, was, it wasn't the idea that it was better stuff. It was that somebody at Columbia really cares about making sure their stuff works yeah awesome well so, I'll, I'll link to that yeah go ahead and send it to me i'll link it up in the in the notes on on this uh, post um so jeff sexton writes if if you want to see more uh you can go buy copy bloggers premise product and hear jeff in some in some webinars on headlines maybe we'll talk about headlines one of these days well, that'd be cool all right uh, All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. It was great to be here. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Branding Blog Podcast. I'm Dave Young. Thanks for listening. <laughs>